All right, guys. Hello, and welcome back, or welcome to Veteran State of Mind. Um, recording live from Los Angeles, California. Uh, we are in, if you're watching the video, a lovely studio right now. Um, thank you to Gareth Emery, friend of the show. Episode 21, we had Gareth on. He's a um, DJ, producer, a good friend of mine. And um, yeah, he's been kind enough to let us record in his uh, in his studio in Los Angeles. I'm joined today by another good friend of mine. His name is Paul De Gelder, handsome, handsome devil of a man. Stop it! Yeah. <laughs> um, we're both um, we're we're both a little on tired side. Not gonna lie, we went to Gold's Gym Venice this afternoon. Now, if anyone's listening who is a fan of bodybuilding, and even if you're not, then you know all about Gold's Gym. And uh, I gotta say, mate, I had the best fucking I had the best training session today. I reckon I've had all year. It was yeah, awesome. It wasn't too it was, bad. Yeah, it was it was good, mate. Now, I have an extra large. Um, I have an extra large uh, coffee with me, and I have. Um, a lip of chewing tobacco in, which I don't recommend to anybody, except people that are tired, in which case I do recommend it. So um, today, um, you guys probably seen Paul on my Instagram. Um, I'm not on my social media before. Yeah. So Paul's a, uh, Paul's a veteran of the Australian military. And um, you know what? This is where I'm going to bring you in, mate. And what, what I would like you to do is give a short biography of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then... <clears throat> Because what we want to do today, right? So Paul's done a lot of podcasts and things, and, and and this is something I want to do with a lot of guests that are coming on. Um, there's a lot of like really cool podcasts out there. Besides this one, there are a lot of really good podcasts, and and what I think is is something that um, I, I want to start doing on this podcast is if somebody else has covered topics, I would rather signpost people to those other other ones. So in the instance of you today. Um, you did an episode on a Global Recon podcast, mm-hmm. which is how we got to know each other, because um, I really enjoyed that podcast. So shout out to John over at Global Recon. Um, so if you guys want to hear more about Paul's backstory, we're going to give you the abbreviated version, then we're going to go and talk into some other stuff. But if you want to hear the in-depth version of Paul's backstory, go and just uh, search for um, Global Recon and um, Paul DeGelder, and um, maybe even listen to that one and then come back to this one. Or just keep listening. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. This is America. <laughs> okay. It's all about liberty. But hey, mate, yeah, give a short little spiel. Oh, man. Um, where do I begin? Shit. Uh, At the beginning. Dad was a cop. Uh, Mum was a housewife. I was the oldest of four kids, two younger brothers and a baby sister who's eight years younger than me. Um, ended up in the hospital quite a lot. Um, fractured my skull playing footy in the backyard. Footy, mate footy stabbed myself in the hand with a paint scraper scraping grip tape off my skateboard got 18 stitches in the face from a dog bite um just always into something uh and we moved away from melbourne when i was when i was 10 we moved to canberra which is the capital of australia and um capital australia capital australia 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 no a no l there's a y in there australia australia and <laughs> you know what we should do? Well, you know what we should do is like swap accents for the podcast and see if people. Know. There's no way I could do a Welsh <laughs> accent. I, it would go into South African, Irish, and some created language that doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> but you do. That's you Welsh. Don't, you don't do a bad <laughs> Australian accent. Australia, mind? No, it's terrible. Little, I did a decent one earlier. You don't do badly. You don't do bad bogan. 
Bad bogan. Bad bogan. I just got to get real nasally, eh? <laughs> Saying A and fucking it. Fucking you know? cunt, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, perfect. It's bogan. Yeah. i got to anyway. get at least one C word in on the um, Moved to Canberra. Canberra's a shithole. Uh, lots of politicians and government services and Ooh. clean and pretty and nothing to do. So after a couple of years, started getting into trouble. Um, rebelled against the discipline at home at the all boys Catholic school I went to started slashing up my arms because um, I just didn't feel like I had any control why were you slashing up your arms so I, was, I became a little bit of a self-harmer why um, as a, I said that, as a, I said that really judgmentally I didn't mean to it's just like yeah, it's you. so alright so oh, just so so people are, people are listening right the reason I find that so surprising as a Paul is a hunk of a man who like has a great life because I'm involved in him. <laughs> I mean, it used to be a single used to, solitary reason why it's to, a great life. It used to suck until I came into it. Um, but no, I just like, it's, it's one of those things where like, again, from the outside, people think like, oh, this guy's got all his shit together, you know? And um, I, you know, I mostly do now, but it but was, it's it was a rocky it, road to yeah, get but that's, ama- that's amazing, isn't it? So like, I just wanted to, you know, the guy I see in front of me now, this is like why appearances can be deceptive. You never, you would never think in a million years, you would never think this guy sitting in front of me was slash his arms. Up. You would not think that. Yeah, but that just goes to show you never know. You never know what's going on inside someone's head. I used to whip out this little hobby knife that I had, and I'd, I'd be in my bedroom, uh, maybe after school when I was just stressed. I got picked on and I got bullied a lot in school uh, when I was younger. I was really short and skinny, um, face full of freckles, big ears. It was terrible at football, terrible at sport, except for swimming because my dad was a swimming coach in between being a cop. And so I just got bullied and the stresses of, of school and then coming home and mum was really strict and dad was away a lot. And it just, it really all got on top of me. And so I started um, cutting up my arms uh, at, Did people at home. Know? No one knew. So I, like, I hit it, it really well. It was right. just, it was an outlet. It was the only thing I could control to inflict this pain on myself. And it wasn't like, I didn't want to die. Uh, We were raised in the Catholic church and I was still, you know, while I was never truly religious, I was still worried that, you know, killing yourself is the cardinal sin and I go straight to hell. So uh, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about wanting to die. It was about requiring a release and i would i wouldn't recommend it to anyone because it doesn't really work there's there's better ways to do it and and thankfully i found another outlet for it through kickboxing and i started doing a lot of muay thai training and that was a much more productive way to deal with that that stress and that anger and take some semblance of control and um, eventually one of the school bullies talked some trash, called my mum a name, and I knocked him out. Nice. Elbowed him in the head, knocked him out, and no one picked on me after that. Thus proving that violence sometimes is the answer. Sometimes it is the answer, yeah. But he not got, the first. It's, it's, not in, it's not the first, like, um, it shouldn't be the first, because I mean, we, we got young people listening to the podcast. So, guys, don't use violence as the first resort, but... No, this was a well-known but train bully. You, but train yourself. Yeah, definitely so be you prepared. It's better to be a, a, a soldier in the garden than a gardener in a war. Okay, it took me a second to get my head around that, but I totally agree. Mm. Although I do like gardening. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, the only problem was that was another period of life where I moved into where I started um, smoking weed. Canberra was the only place in Australia where marijuana was decriminalized, so really? it was rampant. What year was this? Uh, shit, this was... I was 15. This is like... It always has been for a long time. Um it was always fireworks, 
porn and marijuana was uh, like hopefully not at the same time yeah oh well like as you, just, a, just, as, just as you come like so your yeah. mates across town know that you've come like you'll send up a bunch of rockets <laughs> shit mate you know what politicians are like oh uh, wait okay hang on right putting on my uh, putting on my conspiracy cap for a minute so surprise surprise in the town where the politicians live uh-huh. they make it legal for porn uh, fireworks and marijuana and then everywhere else they Is, then punish people for not doing it exactly hmm Hmm. Yeah, interesting, right? Yeah, and who would have, who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? So anyway, started drinking, started smoking weed, took the kickboxing to the street, and ended up getting into a lot of fights on the weekends. And I lived in a, a time when there was a lot of um, racial. Not racial hatred, just racial fighting. So Tensions, the Macedonians yeah. would fight the Serbians, and the island, the Samoans would fight the Tongans, and the Aboriginals would fight everyone, and we'd get involved. And, it and was, was just was that a case of people thinking that it was like we think we're better than you, or it's just like those were your mates? No, it was just clicky. Okay. It was very clicky, and mostly people stuck to themselves. I tried to be friends with everyone. I didn't. You know, I was friends with the Aboriginal kids, and I was fr- like. Our school was pretty multicultural, so I didn't really have any enemies. We just, you know, we'd start fights with people we didn't know. And, you know, I wasn't a good fighter. I probably got my ass handed to me more times than I won any fights, but that was the outlet. And we were drunk, so you didn't feel anything too badly. <laughs> and But eventually, um, I was setting such a poor example for my younger siblings coming home drunk and stoned and stuff. My dad kicked me out of home at 17, and I'd flunked year 11, flunked year 12. And I was just creating havoc in their lives and in my life. When you when you were kicked out, was I'm assuming that you didn't see at the time that that was deserved. Or you did you were you, no, were you, were you, were you, were you did you feel as a victim at the time? No, or? not not really. I'm I'm pretty good like that. Um, you know, with, with the shark attack as well. You know, oh, don't tell people about that oh, yet. Okay, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Um, Spoiler alert. I always got. You know, I got. Reciprocated to what I put into the universe always, and I'm such a firm believer in that now because it's been duplicated and repeated so many times through my life. Um, and you know, that was that was it. You know, I, I fucked up my schooling. I fucked up my social life. I was a troublemaker. I was just, and it wasn't through any intentional dickheadry. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I wasn't trying to be an asshole. I was just lost, and I I didn't have anywhere to put that focus and energy into. So, what were your group of mates like at the time? Were they in similar position to you? Yeah, a, a lot of us were. We're all drinking and smoking and hanging out, and some of them did better in school, um, and some of them just didn't. But we, they were my family. You know, they were the people that I spent all of my time around. We'd we'd finish school and we'd go play basketball till the sun went down. But it's like street ball, not like proper organized basketball we'd yeah. go down to the courts and it was like no blood no so foul. like yeah throwing each other around yeah exactly and with, then we go with, to with kickboxing the and then you know whatever it was they, they were my family we go out shoplifting <laughs> together and all, all that sort of stuff so um it was just a one-way path to nowhere um but i didn't see it i didn't know how to escape it i didn't have the knowledge i didn't get a lot of guidance from my dad and school school i don't know about people these days and i don't know about you but my great all boys catholic school that i went to from year seven to year 10 gave me zero guidance and zero knowledge about the world and how to get a job and how to do your taxes and what sort of jobs are available for people and so i didn't know anything and i was just scared and so i was just bouncing from 
whatever I could get my hands on, shoplifting, selling marijuana, working in hospitality, um, th- this after school. So I-, I was just very, very lost, didn't know what to do. Um, ended up working in the clubs, um, one of them run by bikey gangs and, you know, the guys, the, would, the drug dealers would come in and line up drugs on the bar while I'm working and make me do it. Like some of the times I'd, I'm like, I can't do that. It's, that's too massive. And they'd say, you either do it or you're not walking out of here. Wow. And so that was just a super unhealthy lifestyle, always asleep during the day, smoking, drinking, drugs. And then something happened that at that time I thought was a terrible thing. Uh, I went to a farewell for a friend of mine who was being deported out of Australia and I got jumped by 20 guys and had my ass pretty badly kicked. It, it wasn't terrible. Um, they weren't huge guys. It was like a gang of Asian kids. Um, so they didn't do a lot of damage, but it was the it was the wake-up call I needed and it, it made me realize that I was going to be dead or in jail by the time I was 23 and I, I didn't want that. I, I knew about the world. I knew, I, you know, I was, even though I flunked out of school, I was very well read. I loved reading. We had all the, the entire volume of Encyclopedia Britannica at home and I'd read it religiously and dad always brought me home a book when he was coming back from traveling with a cop. So I grew up watching Valerie Taylor and Steve Irwin and all those incredible adventurers and that was, you know, they were my heroes. So that made me realize that I just had to get the fuck out of Canberra. So who, who's Valerie Taylor? Sorry, not Valerie Taylor, um, Ron and Valerie Taylor are, are the original underwater diving shark documentary makers. Oh, sick. Yeah. And so, those, they're like Australians? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're incredible. Um, Ron's dead now. Valerie uh, is still alive. She's like the one of the, the grandmother of diving. She's a sweet lady. I've met her a whole bunch of times now and it's kind of cool. I walked up to her at a um, no shark cull in Sydney and I said, excuse me, Miss Taylor, my name is Paul DeGelder. And she looked up at me and she said, I know who you are. And I just made my heart melt. Yeah, that's, that's pretty dope. So you, um, you, were on this, you were on this path of self-destruction. Obviously, um, you know, you got some not very um not not very appreciated by the family for understandable fucking reasons absolutely um it was the best thing they could have done for me at the time i was a little pissed off but i look back on it man it was the best thing my dad could have done yeah and presumably he you know probably tried talking probably tried the talks first probably tried you know he wasn't he wasn't a great communicator right it wasn't so it's like stop being a fucking shit bag yeah, you little cat I, it's such a blur man to be honest yeah. i don't remember a lot of it i just he taught me to swim he in, in i don't remember him teaching me much else to be All honest right. like i don't remember any real life guidance i don't remember him he was a cop he didn't teach me to fight i used to get picked on and bullied at school what, it just what, wasn't do there you, do you think what do you think there was a, I think sometimes there's like maybe a worry with parents that if they teach their kids to fight, then their kids will fight. Whereas, I, like, just like, um, but it was like anything. He didn't really teach me anything, right? But I think at certain stages, even if he did, I probably wouldn't have listened. Right. Okay. No. Yeah. But so, he was a good man. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. saying he was a cunt. He was a good man. He never hit me. Mm-hmm. He always worked his ass off to put food on the table. Mum, Mum's an English lass. She's from Essex. So we have a lot of money for six people. So we're eating kidneys and brains and, you know, livers and all that garbage food. But they tried. You know, they tried to put us into good schools. They tried to look after us. And I was just blind to it. And I was self-centered. And I was yeah. a bit of an asshole. To be so honest. how did you become less of an asshole? I left. 
Mm-hmm. I packed up everything into a car I had no license for, and I drove 12 hours north to Brisbane. And I got a job as a bartender in a strip club, and I started making rap music. And that <laughs> wasn't the time I stopped being an asshole. Right. But it was the path to right. less assholery. Okay, um, and like we said, let's, let's uh, lo- like you go into this more in depth. And like I said, go and listen to the Global Recon podcast um, because you go into depth of this. Because we want, I want, I want to be talking about as you know, because your story about how you get there is really interesting. But like, you know, obviously we got limited time on this podcast, and I want to talk about a lot of the stuff. I think. Um, poignant now yeah i think it's yeah exactly it's very like it's important to establish w- why things happened the way you did but then um and i'm sure you agree with me on this because well i know you do because we've talked about it <laughs> um it's like you said like what you kind of put out into the world whether you believe in god whether you believe in like you know law of attraction whether you believe in you know the universe giving back mm-hmm. whatever like that what you put out into the world you know you get back and i think that is something where if you dwell on the past too much you will get the results of the past. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, you've understand that it's important to recognize the mistakes of the past, or not just mistakes of the past, but the path of the past. The lessons in the mistakes. Yeah. And um, the um, this path led you to, as it does for so many people who are in a similar position, led you to the military. Yeah, yeah. Led me to the army. Um, my two younger brothers had actually joined first. They were in artillery, and so I called them for some guidance and they said don't join infantry so i joined infantry and uh, yeah and i went through basic training it was hard as fuck i hated it but this was my shot at Mm -hmm. changing everything in my life so i was stuck with it and then at the end of um uh infantry training school they said who here wants to jump out of a plane so I'm like, hell yeah. Did they offer a parachute at that point? Or they-, <laughs> they just said, who wants to jump out of a plane? I put my hand in there and they said, all right, congratulations, you're going to parachute school. Nice. And um, did that, went to the 3rd Battalion, Royal Australian Regiment uh, as a paratrooper for four years. And- so like, th- so the 3rd Battalion, Royal Australian Regiment, that's like a, is that, that is the para battalion, is yep. it? Like, yeah. So like how many, um, how many para battalions are there? In the There's Australia only one. Now? Oh, so just the one. Yeah. All right, cool. So we, we don't have a lot of people in our military in Australia. Yeah, fair point. So is it like, um, does it have like a reputation like the paras in the UK that it's like it's yeah. a, kind of like a you know it's like a it has like an elite ethos about yeah. it? Yeah, Third Battalion has a US presidential citation for its um, uh, duties in Korea. Who Third Battalion was some of the first in and the last out. Like incredible soldiers. Um, uh, Capiong battles in Vietnam was one of the the battalion's crowning battles. Uh, just really, really incredible reputation built on the shoulders of heroes. No, yeah, and I think that's such an important thing as well. It's like when you are a young guy, and when you're an older guy, but especially as a young guy, and you are a bit wayward, and you appreciate like what well, you know when you're younger, you um, you appreciate the fighting spirit of things a lot more as you, you know as you get older you begin to appreciate other competencies and stuff mm. but when you're younger the more bloodthirsty the history almost the better in some way isn't it yeah you know like you want to know that you are like you because you want to feel like you are a fucking tough motherfucker yeah it gave me dude it gave me so much pride when i put on that uniform and i put on that maroon beret i just i felt purpose real purpose good purpose for the first time in my life and i didn't want to let anybody down And the more I learned about the Australian military history and my unit's um, military history and the way that 
people looked at me when I wore that uniform. It just made me feel so good. And I, I didn't want to disappoint anyone and I didn't want to disappoint myself. So I, I really wore that uniform with pride and I, I did the best that I could for those um, four years that I was there. So when this is happening then, you know, you've come in with like a past of like self-harming, obviously like a low opinion of yourself in a lot of ways, you know, and did that go, did that totally switch when you joined the army? Piece, piece by piece. It, it wasn't all in one go. Um, and my mum's always said that I am the most disciplined, undisciplined person she's ever met. Um, so, so? <laughs> so like, I can be regimented. I can do, I can get the job done, but don't on, ask me to like it. Ter- yeah, yeah. On your terms. Yeah, on your terms. So a lot like you, I've been reading um, reading your Afghanistan book. It seems like you were very Brothers much the same way. Brothers and Jones. Yeah, dude. Like I. <laughs> but then, as I, you fall into the battalion life, you you find out there's a lot of people like that, and that's what brings so. you together. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a certain kind of like there's different kinds of soldiers, mm. um, and I think in the infantry, you know, you get some guys that just want they want to be told everything. They want to be told this is where you need to be at what time, and yeah, there's other guys. I think like. Um, my my always thing was is like right, just tell me what you want to do, but then don't tell me how to do it. Yeah. It's like say right, this is the this is the goal, and then just let me do my own thing. Yeah. It's like I'll mm-hmm. I'll do it. Like yeah, unfortunately, I'll, I'll, the infantry doesn't often work like that. <laughs> the infantry does not work, but in the defense of the infantry. But once you build a reputation mm-hmm. and you build respect with with your commanders and stuff, then they give you yeah. the leeway to do yeah. it. But the the problem with the infantry, dude, uh, and, well, it's probably the same as other units as, as well. But you know, in the infantry, you know, you've got a company, you've got a company of people. You might have in that company a certain percentage of people who don't need constant supervision. It's a very low percentage. There's 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 guys. Infantry. Yeah, there's a lot of eighteen year old, seventeen year old guys there who if you don't if you if you say like, Oh, you know what, I'm gonna I'm not gonna fucking do a kit inspection on the guys because I'm gonna trust them to bring all the stuff. They will fuck you. They'll fuck you over. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You gotta have your hollow you gotta have your hollow squares and your fucking kit checks. And like, you know, people will complain about it, but at the end of the day, dude, I you know, I I know of instances where, um, you know, where people have tried to cut people leeway on tour. Like, oh, you know what? Like, you know, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna treat the guys like adults. We're not gonna do a kit inspection, and you'll find out that guys have been going on patrol with fucking two magazines because they didn't want to carry the extra fucking weight. Oh no! You know, yeah, you know things like that. So it's like, unfortunately, yeah, that's the There's way. There's got to be a degree. Of that's cuddling. the way. That's the way it has to be. In and, units like that, yes. Yeah, in, and in if, the upper echelons, it becomes very much less so. Exactly, because like in the. You know that's more personal responsibility. You don't end up in those other upper echelons without being able to do. It. I'm sure there's probably some shitbags because I know people get kicked out of the upper echelons <laughs> for that. Well, because that's the difference as well. It's like if you go up to those upper echelons and you do fucking try and pull a stunt like that, your mates will. Well, you're, you're going to be gone. They're yeah. not going to keep you there. Like mm. that's that's it. Whereas in the infantry, like you know, we had guys in Iraq I know who weren't really allowed out the back of the vehicles ever because they were more fucking. It was more trouble to have them out of the vehicles than it was to just just like just keep them in the back. You yeah. know, some guys saw out the dura- duration of their tours from the back of the fucking vehicles because, you know, they just they were just too much of a lie. You couldn't just you couldn't do your own job then. You had to just be because there's there's a difference between um, commanding and babysitting, and some people unfortunately need babysitting. Um, you know, I'm not trying to make out that I was fancy. Dude, I fucked up a lot of times in the job. You know, we we all fucking do, but some people will take the piss again and again and again and i think part of that is they don't realize again when you're younger like you don't realize the consequences of walking out like that's the major thing yeah there's been units there's been instances where people have um 
you know, the units have run out of, like, I don't think a lot of people realize that there's there's instances in a, in Iraq, for instance, with the Americans where they had, like, these small checkpoints of, like, eight guys that all got wiped out. And I'm not fucking saying that that was their fault or whatever, but it could be in Iraq, if you didn't take all your ammunition out, you might end up getting overrun. You you could end up in a fucking sticky in a contact or be isolated, you know, for if you, you could be isolated. And if everyone's chinned off taking their full scale of ammunition, that could end up with you going all, all home in bags. And I think one of the things about being a young guy is you don't understand consequence fully. Mm-hmm. So you're always thinking like, well, yeah, well, I know that happened to those other guys. It's not going to happen to yeah. us. So that's why the programming is so important that mm-hmm. they instill in you through your basic training, through your infantry training. And then some, to a certain degree, you have to continue it through the battalion life, the programming of this is just how it's done. Fill your mags, take your mags, mm-hmm. fill your water, take your water, put your plates in. Like it's just, it gets so ingrained into your head. Yeah. You can't think of it any other way. That it's so vitally important, especially on pre-deployment training. Yeah, and I, like I said, like I've definitely pushed back on things in the past. Not when it's come to ammunition and that kind of stuff. I always try and take, you know, I always used to want to take more it's ammunition. Funny, they never, they never n- forget their cigarettes. Yes, good, good point. <laughs> never forget cigarettes or the fucking Mars bars and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's like, it, it's some. I'm. I'm sure any veteran listening to this is not going to disagree. I think this is more of a civilian, a civilian perspective. I think civilians think that everyone in the army is super switched on, and really wants to be out there doing the job and wants to be the best they can be. And it's just not. The, it's just not I'm not. Fucking hated it. Some days, man, we'd be. We could. We'd go out and exercise out the back of Sydney, and you could see the twinkling lights of Sydney in the distance. And we'd have our entrenching tools out, and we'd be instructed to dig fighting pits, and we'd be digging through shale, like it's pitch black. Uh, entrenching tools are smashing into shale rock, sparking, and we weren't going anywhere. And so you have to just. Say, stay there digging into this rock sparking your hands are killing you and vibrating and covered in blisters while you can literally see the light of home like, I it's so demoralizing sometimes there are there's certain parts of exercise which can be like you know really good fun like sometimes if you're doing like fighting built up areas whatever it's fucking called now you know that can be a really enjoyable part of an exercise but the fact is there's not going to be... I, I don't think I've ever turned around in a harbour area in a forest where you're digging in like shell scrapes and someone's been like, I fucking love this. This is so much fun. I hope we get to come out in the rain and dig shell scrapes tomorrow. No. It just doesn't happen. No. You know, it's but it's something you... It has to be done because if you're not going to do your training, you like... That's, you know, that, know how to do it when it's important. Exactly, mate. Like, that's when, that's when you're, you're building the discipline. It's just a different sort of shit. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you're doing it with your mates. Yeah. You know, and even when it is absolutely shit, you're six foot deep in a hole that's filling with water that you know you're gonna have to sleep in, and then the next day you're gonna do a five K fighting withdrawal in full NBC gear. No. You look at your mate and you just you it's so funny, you both piss yourself laughing, looking at each other at the ridiculousness of the situation you're in. And that's what makes it all worth it. Yeah. Being definitely. with your mates. Definitely, mate. And I think that's um that's something that is missed so much as well, post-military. But we'll come on to post-military soon. Because okay, let's 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 jump ahead a bit. Because like I said, you know, it's um, you you've you've talked about this stuff before, and I want to get to some of the stuff you're doing now because um, I think that is something that like sets you up, you know, is unique. Like it's there's a lot of this other stuff is kind of like a lot of people have had these experiences. You've had some experiences I want to talk about that like not many have. So let's start with this experience with. Um, so for those of you who are not watching on the video. Paul has a as as um as Gareth's daughter 
described it uh, this this evening. You have a robot arm and a robot leg. Uh, How the fuck did that happen? Sharks, bro. Sharks. Sharks. So Sharknado. Yeah, exactly. Sharknado. Um, <laughs> I was a stunt double on this movie called Sharknado, <laughs> and then the sharks turned real. No, um, so after you know four and a half years in the army gave me a great basis for training a great discipline a really great fitness and so i thought you know what i can do more than this and transferred um well i put in a a application to transfer to the navy clearance divers and that got accepted went and learned how to do um scuba and bomb searching which was great because i'd never scuba dived in my life oh Um, but you you done a lot of swimming but you never scuba dived dived. Uh, so kind of a steep learning curve um go from never scuba diving in my life to two weeks later searching the hulls of ships for bombs nice um so i passed that three-week course went on to the selection course which is 10 days of hell um you know five hour swims followed by half marathons how the fuck do you swim for five hours um you all lay out in a line you link your arms you got your overalls on you got a pair of fins on and you swim from one side of sydney harbour to the other in the middle of the night all of you all of you link together yeah so we started out with 35 and uh, the first exercise you do is called a gate-to-gate run. It's it's about 5Ks, but it goes for about two and a half hours. And you get back about 7.30 at night, and um, everyone's absolutely shagged. Um, you, you, you do an Indian file where you run from the back of the line to the start of the line, back of the line to the start of the you, line. But, but you're doing that swimming? <clears throat> no, you're doing that running. This oh, is right, the run. Sorry, okay. And so... so we didn't have that many people by the time we got to the swim because 70% of the course quit that first day. Right. Because you wow. do that gate to gate run, you get back and they're all right, like, all right, boys, you got three minutes to stretch up and then we're going to do that again. Mm-hmm. And there's like another three hour run in front of you and people are already fucked. So mm-hmm. that's that's the main time when everyone just starts handing in these their yellow vests with their number on it. So by the time we got to the swim, there was only 10 of us left. Uh, most people coming off voluntarily or are they coming off because they're voluntarily right yeah they oh, all wow. pull the pin wow. uh, they take off their vest hand them in so by the time we got to the swim which was about three days later 11 o'clock at night there's 10 of us left you all link arms lay on your back and you do what we call finning just kicking your legs and so we start at um at the navy diving school and then you swim over to manly which is across the the harbor and then you get there and you've got to turn around and come back and then you'll get maybe two, three hours sleep and you've got to run a half marathon. And then it's just on and on and on and on, like stretcher carries, um, swims, pulling boats through the harbour, uh, can- carrying canoes up mountains filled with water jerrys and just on it. It's just insane. I lost about 10 kilos. Wow. Um, and we, we ended up with those 10. And then once you finish that and you pass, then you go into the nine months of basic clearance diver course where you learn to do maritime tactical operations, coxswain course, um, mine countermeasures, underwater battle damage repair, um, basic demolitions, EOD. So that's an ongoing training which kicks your ass for nearly another year. So just one on, the, on, the, on this initial bit then. Obviously, you had like a big background in swimming. Hmm. Of the other lads, does everyone have passed it? Are we talking about guys who are like used to being in the water, or have you got people who are just like kind of novices? Kind of, yeah, man. It's one of the guys, one of the bigger guys, Luke Hearn, who's a good friend of mine. He was on my course. Um, he swum like a brick, right? Like, literally, he's he was so big through the shoulders and the legs that he could not stay on top of the water. So, you don't need to be a particularly good swimmer to be a navy diver. 
because you you're wearing wetsuits and fins and BCs and all that sort of shit anyway. So all you got to know how to do is kick your legs and control your buoyancy. <laughs> um, it does help. I'm not going to lie. Like mm. I smoked most of the people on my course because. I was a good swimmer, and because I was a good swimmer, I had the great lung capacity to be a great runner as well. So I, I, while I by no means breezed through my course, I did it a lot easier than some people. But yeah. then I struggled with the, the mental challenges, learning the, the sciences and learning the dive sets and all that stuff because I have a terrible retention of knowledge. Um, but I know that. I know my weakness, and so I really put in the hours to so study. So how do you, um, you make up for that weakness? Study, bro. Just parrot fashion, same way I learned my times tables. Is, it, is there like, do you have a particular technique that you do? Is there like, does it help you? Like for me, it's like I, I definitely retain information a lot better if I write it down. I retain, I retain it better if I do it over and over right. and over. So um, writing down does help to a degree, and obviously mm -hmm. I can fall back on the writing I've done. But it, most of the stuff was written out in in field notebooks for us anyway. So all I had to do was have my notebook with me and do it over and over and over. Okay. Um, But then you only get so much time. You only get so many practices before it's test time. So it was, it, you know, I passed by the skin of my teeth at, at some phases. Other other phases I breezed through. But the really technical stuff I struggled with. Um, but, you know, that's all part of it. That's why it feels so good when you pass. And you're like, I've really fucking accomplished something special yeah. here. And now I got to be someone that other people in my industry looked up to. You know, I got to wear those clearance diver cams and my, my the coveted clearance diver helmet patch on my arm. And up until that point, that was something that I never dreamed I could have achieved because they were the special ones, man. You know, like the SAS, the commandos, the clearance divers. They were the people that everyone looked up to and thought, shit, you know. So did you, have, did you have that bit of imposter syndrome when you were there? Did you, did you feel yeah. like... Did you feel like, oh fucking hell, I'm getting away with this kind of thing? Like I did, I like nah, I'm not bro, supposed to be. I was here. fucked. I was struggling. So you just so like I was like. Yeah. So did, did 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 you like when you were on the course? Did you think, oh, I'm going to come through this, or did you think like, um, I'm just going to keep going for as long as I can? That was it, man. Because you get you don't get any guidance. You don't get told how you're doing. All you've you've got to rely on that. Um, that integral not even confidence just that heart you know i had a driving motivation um that i was not going to go back to the army i did not want to do it anymore i didn't want to be running around the bush stinky smelly doing the same fucking exercises um i was pissed off at the army because i'd just come back from peacekeeping with the un and I got a, a offered to go on a, a trip to Iraq and four days before I deployed, they pulled the trip on me. Mm. And so I was like, fuck this place. I was like, I, all I wanted to do was go somewhere that got deployed and do my job for real. So that was my driving motivator. And it's I, I think this is something that like is, I've, I've been in the same thing, dude, but I've been trying to get on ops and like the personnel center and stuff is like your biggest enemy at the time. And it's, I think that's been one of the big problems with retention in the British army is that like fucking a lot of soldiers want to deploy. Some don't, yeah. some really don't, Dude, but a lot really do. It. And it's like, if you don't let people deploy, they'll leave. Yeah, It's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, and I think like, it's a, obviously that's a great blessing for these fucking departments to learn is like, look, you need to give you guys, you can't expect someone to train for war and then not, when there's an operation going, not get them out on ops. You need to get people out on ops. A lot, like, and I, it's one of the, There's a lot of good things about having regimental system, mm. but one of the downsides is that 
um, some guys that are in a unit that's not like so for instance if you're in the parachute regiment in the UK you've got a very good chance of going on every operation that happens you know because they're yeah. usually the spearhead and there's a, you know good reasons behind that why they are but then it's like if you're in another regiment you don't feel like you're getting used you start to think well why am I just here to be yeah. on fucking exercise it's like, like you said. putting all that effort into train and study to be a lawyer and then never going to the courthouse and just being on the debate yeah. team you know, and, and there's, there's never going to be any passion behind it. Exactly. And if there's no operations going, then that's understandable. But when, like, if you like for you, it's like you've you've had that in front of you, and then they've pulled it away. In their mind, they're just they're doing paperwork, and they're probably just thinking like, oh well, whatever, it's not a big deal. But for the individual, it's almost like a huge betrayal. Yeah, it's that's like, what it's, felt it's, like it's 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 like it's. I tell you what, they sent like. the chaplain. They sent they sent <laughs> the auxiliary staff, but they didn't send the grunts. Yeah. And so we were just, we were all pissed. And Dude, that was it. I was like, I can't be here anymore. Yeah, I mean, I would put it I put it like this to people, like because I know, again, veterans listening are going to understand this. But to civilians listening, it's almost imagine that you've been engaged and four days in, you know, before your wedding, they pull the wedding. That's what it's like. That's the kind of thing. So, like, that's why it fucks people so over. Like, um, a lot of people at that point will feel so kind of betrayed by then and so let down that instead of being like, oh, well, I'll wait around another four years and maybe it'll happen again, you'll just go, fuck this, I'm walking away. Just leave, yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I had bigger aspirations. Yeah. Well, that's... Um, that's, that's which was funny because then I went to the clearance divers and never got deployed and all my army buddies went and got deployed like three or four times. That happens. Like, sometimes, <laughs> if, you, sometimes if you stick around in places, like, because I've, I've known that's happened to a lot of people I know it's like you're like right well I'm going to go and chase these deployments and mm. then sometimes sometimes that's, that shit happens it's unavoidable but, man you never know like maybe that was a blessing a maybe of, it was it might not be you a lot of people got fucked up a lot yeah, of people ex- got killed ex- exactly mate so you never know right so talking getting fucked up turn up to work one day been a Navy clearance diver for about four years I turn up to work February 11th 2009 um, this is coming, this is the last month of summer. And we go to, uh, sorry, myself and three of my teammates go to the the big Navy base on Sydney Harbour. Uh, so not our clearance diving team, uh, over to where they berth the warships. And by no means a big Navy. By berth the warships, you mean tie them up. Tie, not, yeah. not like actually push them out of a vagina. <laughs> well, some of them look like they have been pushed out oh, of a vagina. Well. But, uh, yeah, where they tie up the warships. I have a horrible mental like, image right now. Our, our warships are by no means big, and our big Navy base is by no means big either. But this is this is what we've got. And so turn up to work. We're doing some counterterrorism training. R&D Department of the Military want to test unmanned video and sonar. They want to see if they can. It's a three three-stage test. They want to see if this equipment can uh, automatically track with sonar and video and attack swimmer and attack scuba diver and then attack um, rebreather. So no bubbles. See if they can detect these people um, coming in to put bombs on our ships no matter where we are around the world. So we're pretending to be the attack swimmers. I got my new guy in the water for the first 30 minutes and I decided to do him a favor and pull him out. So I jump in. I got a black wetsuit on, a pair of black fins. I'm on my back on the surface. Yeah, (laughs) just, you know, tuxedo underneath. (laughs) Ready, Ready to just rock the opera house. Um, but I'm just, I'm, dude, I'm in the water for four minutes and I get this massive whack in my leg and I turn around and there's a bull shark attached to me. And <laughs> I love it, that, attached it, to you. It just starts. I think it, you were, I, th- I don't think it was attached to you. I think you were attached to it. 
<laughs> yeah. The funny thing is I was never really into sharks until I was into sharks. Then uh, so it yeah, it fucked me up. It it took me underwater, started tearing me apart. Um I tried to fight back, but there's nothing you can do. Like this is a three hundred kilogram use- monster made of muscle in its element. Muay Thai didn't come in handy. It did not come in Fuck. handy. Um, tried the eyeball, but it had my hand and my hamstring in the same bite. Um, tried to push it off by the nose, but that did nothing. Tried to punch it in the head, but that's when it started to shake me and all the strength went out of me. Um, just horrific pain. But I couldn't scream because I was underwater. And so I was screaming. My lungs are filling with water. I'm in agony and I was dying. Mm. Um, so it lasts about eight seconds. Videos on YouTube. You can look it up. Yeah, I jerk um, off to that quite yeah. regularly. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not surprised? We're, we're too close these days, Jess. <laughs> but, um, it's like I see you thrashing around. <laughs> yeah, look, you can even you can even go on to... I've, I've made a couple of motivational clips to show this, this journey that I've been on. Um, so if you go to my YouTube channel, there's not a lot on there, but there's a couple of videos I made up, and you can actually see some of the surgery photos as well. Um, I've had 58 people pass out. Yeah, through those, the, those, the those, they're pretty I honky. Because uh, you're saying like it's every talk you've because you do guest speaking engagements. Right? Yeah, a lot. Everyone you've done, you've had someone like what, throw up or pass out. Yeah, no, no, not everyone. I haven't oh. had one for a while, and to be honest, I don't like it when it happens. People anymore. are getting too desensitized, dude. Yeah, they're, they're I've done too hundreds many of talks, hundreds, but I've had 58 people pass out. Um, 55 of those are men, uh, and I did a launch for Microsoft 10 a couple of years back, and six people passed out in one go. Jesus. Yeah, it was insane. Who would have thought that people working at Microsoft were more, more, more prone to passing out? Dweebs. But, uh, yeah, that was really tough, man. That was a tough day at work. Um, nearly died a couple of times. Uh, swam back to the boat with my arm out of the water above my heart to try and stem the bleeding. That's pretty fucking switched on, mate. Yeah. Not going to lie. That's pretty switched on thinking at that, that, that Not point. knowing that my leg has a gaping hole in it. Did you even... Were you, okay, so when that happened, were you like, oh... I need to raise my arm. Or did, was it just like a it was primal instinctual. instinct? That's yeah. amazing. It was all amazing. instinctual. The training that amazing. we go through as clearance divers is some of the best in the world, um, especially if you do some of your own study in your own time as well, which I, I did. But I just, you know, I knew, keep that wound above my heart, stem the bleeding, swim with the other hand, couldn't move my leg, couldn't feel my leg. So I had no idea what was going on. All I had the laser-like focus of the soldier, you know, mm. to... All I had to do was complete this one task and then I'll move on to the next one. So get back to the boat alive. Did not think I was going to make it. I thought the shark's going to come back and grab me by the leg or another bull shark's going to come along, attracted by the blood, and I'm going to die. But all I had to do was one task, get back to the boat. And fortunately, the guys had seen what was going on, so they were gunning the Zodiac over to me as well. They grabbed me, pulled me out of the water and started first aid straight away. Um, one of the guys had to stick his hand inside my leg and pinch close an artery like that freaking scene out of Black Hawk Down. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't die. Um, that stopped the bleeding. The this boat was very interesting conversation in my blood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, rough day, man. Rough day. I'm getting wheeled into the, the hospital emergency trying to bribe the doctor with a case of beer to save my leg. Yeah, he's like, oh well, yeah. Now you grab me <laughs> yeah. with beer, I'll do it. He's like, well, let me drink, let me drink it first, and then we'll see yeah. what we can it's do. It's just the fallback, isn't it? He For came a soldier, in, come on, he, hey, dude, I'll buy a case of beer. Came, came in with like, and he comes in with a like, roll of duct tape, some <laughs> yeah. fucking bamboo. He's like, yeah, got this. Yeah. So anyway, he, he didn't get the case of beer, but you didn't give him the case. He Jack didn't save my leg. Fair one, fucking useless doctor. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, great surgeons kept me alive. And when you see some of these photos, you'll probably be like me where it's hard to understand how a human being can survive those injuries. Mate, it's, it's nuts. Like, and like this guys I follow on Instagram and stuff who have got like three limbs missing and things. Yeah. And you're just like, how? how do you survive that? Yeah. And then there's other people who will get hit on the head by a stone yeah, and die. die. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. The funny thing is, my sister was in. Uh, so my sister joined after me as well. Military. She was an army medic. Mm-hmm. She was in Afghanistan three months after my shark attack with the two guys that saved my life, patching people up. I thought you were going to say she got attacked by a shark. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's shark a badass man. Mate, she's okay. one of the first females in Australian military history to go outside the wire on fighting patrols in a war zone. Sick. It's fucking badass. What's your opinion on women in the military then? Uh, I don't have a problem with women in the military. I don't have a problem with women in combat roles as long as they can pass the tests on par with the men. Um, but they've introduced some of that into the clearance divers, and I know for a fact that they're pushing them through and letting them cheat and lowering the bar. So yeah. I like that was that was. I haven't had an update on any of that in the past maybe twelve months. So I'm not going to you know say that it's not happening right now. But I know for the past couple of years that it has been bullshit, faking test scores, um, giving the females like Olympic uh, Olympic medalists coming in to talk to them and inspire them and motivate them and the guys get the fucking, the petty officer. Right. So it's been, it's been bullshit. Yeah, I think like my, my opinion is always just like, look, it's just have one standard and if someone meets the standard, they meet the standard. 100%. You know, you know I, I think that is the only fair way to do it. And I know... Tiny little guys that are smaller than some of the bigger chicks that you know can't pass. They yeah. can't. They can't lift this, guys this out is of the, the water. Only, this is always like so. Say for instance, the commando course in the UK. It's like well, yeah, like no no women have passed. Well, sorry, one one has, but like I, you know, the stories are that she got pushed through. Yeah, and um, you know what? I, I wasn't there, so I, you know, I don't know. Um, but like I always say. It's not like every guy passes it. No, exactly right. Like, that's why it's an elite. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not every guy passes it. Like If you want to lower the bar for elite levels like that and let people pass um, without earning it, then people will die yeah, because yeah. of that decision. I, I, I agree, mate. It's, it's one of those things where I can understand where people are coming from. They feel like it should, it's a good thing to happen. Unfortunately, in the military, it can, you know, but like, dude, it's... If there's a standard and people meet the standard, they meet the fucking standards. Yeah. I don't care if you got fucking... If I don't got, think we're talking about anything new here. I'm sure this has been discussed many, many times. Like, But it's it's very basic, and they're still not following that rule. Well, One standard, if they pass, they pass. Men, women, ducks, I don't give a fuck. If you can I'm, do it... I think you've you got a, a radical opinion there on <laughs> ducks, mate. Personally, I'm, a, I'm also known as a duckist and not only you. But, um, yeah, it's it, like you said, mate, we, we're not saying anything radical but unfortunately you know it's just one of those things with the, with the military and life in, in in general is that it seems to be the same lessons have to be learned again i, I listened to um uh, i think it was a jocko podcast recently and um there was they had like a, a a book for like it was basically to get people mentally prepared to go overseas in the second World war mm. and they were talking about so much of the stuff that people are talking about now with mental health and i'm like this has all been forgotten over the last 50 years and now it's having to get relearned, mm. which is, you know, fucking shocking. But, you know, it's just one of those things. It's always the, you'd always, you know, you'd always fight in the last war and, you know, like. Dude, but honestly, we are somewhat our own worst enemies. For sure. So we come back from deployments and we get forced to go to the psych. And what do we do? 
lie, lie through lie. our teeth. And I, you know what? Like, I honestly think even now with my, like, what air quotes, enlightened attitude to mental health, I know for a fact if you put me back in the same position when I came back, I would have said exactly the Absolutely, same thing. Absolutely, because it, it affects your career. No yeah. one's going to say that they're having problems yeah. and, and get put on the bench and we, yeah, fuck we up had, their so We had this conversation like, recently I met with um, the Defence Secretary and Foreign Secretary. So um, there's a few of us there, some, some great fucking charities there. To be honest, I shouldn't have been in that room because it was like everyone else there has like, done a lot for charity and I was just kind of like, oh, hello, I'm Gary Jones, I'm an author. Um, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, like, we, that's exactly what we're saying. It's like, no one's going to come forward and say, oh, yeah, I have an f- issue. It's like, oh, really? Bye. Yeah. Like, what? so you're not going to say anything. And again, what does that, what yeah. that could lead to somebody dying? Only if it gives them a one-day chit and they get out of PT. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. It's the, only, it's the only situation where that's going to work. But to be fair, those <laughs> fucking biffs are going to be the ones that are coming forward and, and probably playing up problems worse than they actually are yeah. or making up problems. Because, again, let's just fucking, let's, let's be honest, let's be adult about this. There are 100% people out there who don't have mental health problems, who say that they do because they want the they compensation want or whatever. Yeah, they, they want the 100% it, it fucking, look, disability. It, it happens. It's, it happens. And, 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 and don't get me wrong. I'd rather give them the money than it, or, or give them the support, which they don't need, than not give it to someone that does need it. You know, That's just how it's got to be. You know? yeah. I don't think I'm uh, really in a position to make those decisions. They're not, never going to listen to me. But, uh, don't fucking listen to me because I'm the host of Veteran State of Mind. <laughs> and my, so and my, I have, the, fine, my pay grade, so I have I the finest listeners in all the land, mate. If they don't listen to me, I choose you, to you concern this. myself with the things that I can control. Well, that's, that's, very, that's me. That's what I do, what I put out into the world, the people that I help. And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a great point, mate. And there's something I was talking about the other day, and I got pushed back on this from some people, but I stand by it. So, what I was saying is, you, and then you can tell me, agree or disagree, that I think, quite rightly, there's criticism of. Excuse me. <laughs> criticism of uh, sometimes Ministry of Defence, the Army, not doing enough for people, not doing enough for veterans. Yeah, great. That's fine. Criticise all you want, but can you look in the mirror and say, are you doing everything you can to help yourself? Yeah. Are you being physically active? Mm. Are you um, are you working on your own mental health in, in to the best of your ability, which is going to be different from one person to the next? Do you know how to look after your mental health is one yeah. of the big things because, you know what, as much as the military is going to train you on how to be a soldier, they're not going to give you everything. Mm. Sometimes you have to look after yourself and do your own research mm. and look into how best to take care of your own mm. mental, physical, and emotional state. Don't fucking expect everyone else to do it for you because it's just not going to happen then you're going to turn into a bag of dicks and hate life yeah and it, well, okay one it's it's not going to happen so people can like you can be an idealist and say oh this should happen all right great but it's not yeah so it's not so you have to you have to do it um and i encourage anyone listening who's in the military stuff too don't let like it's like it's like um if you fuck up your knees you can, um, you know, you can get rehabilitation on your knees and everything. Or you can send one of them away to Germany like I do. Yeah, oh, yeah. Or, like, say for knees, for instance, it's, it's, I wish now I'd done more work on prehabilitation on my knees. So, for instance, I could have done more work with fucking ferrobands and, like, all that kind of stuff to strengthen my knees, my joints. Instead of just doing fucking arms in the gym, I could have done more work to, like, yeah, have my knees taken a pounding in the infantry? Absolutely. But can I look at myself in the mirror and say, did I do everything I could to injury-proof my knees? Not, because all you want to do is get big shoulders, big arms, and go out drinking. Which I have. <laughs> you don't want to ride, actually. You Mission right. accomplished. You last time I saw you. Thanks, buddy. Been fucking working out. Yeah, down Power Zone gym. You know Shout out Power Zone like, gym. You know, I, I don't have a degree in any of this. 
anti-depression, PTSD. I don't, you know, I'm not an expert in any of those fields, but what I do know is I nearly died in one of the most horrific, painful, vicious ways you can imagine. It was my absolute fucking worst nightmare, Sharks. And I haven't had a nightmare, a bad dream, a flashback, and I don't have PTSD. Do you reckon maybe that's because, like, the worst thing possible could happen happened? So, like, in a way, it's like, unless next time you got attacked by two sharks. <laughs> or, or Sharknado. Yeah, or, ma- know, look, or maybe saying, he was a really... I'm not like, saying that it's because I'm fucking in, in touch with my inner ether or whatever. Like, I am not emotionally superior to anyone perhaps i'm just lucky perhaps i just don't have that chemical imbalance but perhaps it is an amalgamation of learning from the lessons of the past and living through struggles previously that has taught me that these things as the saying goes this too shall pass you know why i thought it was you shall not pass well it's both but it 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 will only ever be as bad as you make it. I don't see those horrific moments as an anchor for my life. I see it as something that happened, it was really shit, and now I move on and do something else and build on top of that and create a new life. Well, it's it's um, it's definitely had some benefits for you too, right? Um, like, I, I don't really look at it as benefits. It's given me opportunity. Sorry, yeah, that's yeah, a better way of putting it's it. It's definitely given me opportunity. Um, opportunity, yeah. And some, you know, I've done a lot of media and sometimes I come out saying, oh, the shark attack that saved his life. You fucking idiots. I, I loved my life. I loved being in the Navy clearance dive. It was yeah. fucking badass. Um, yeah, it's not like you were like covering yourself in chum and jumping in, no, the, no. in the water. Like, 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 it was horrible. I can't, yeah. I haven't been able to ride a motorcycle since. That was all I did. All I did was ride my motorcycle and, and jump out of aircraft and play with bombs and shoot guns and travel the world with my mates. And yeah. I loved my life. And some of that stuff I can't do now. Yeah, I mean, uh, but it just, doesn't mean you hang on to that. Yeah, I was just going to say for anybody out there who's wondering, don't trust media headlines because oh. it's <laughs> don't trust media at all no. don't b- believe like except veteran state of mind trust us well you know send us your fucking send us your credit card details me and Paul want to go out tonight um, yeah media is bullshit they get the smallest if they can't get the, the smallest things correct then how are they ever going to get the big things correct that's why people come here for the fucking news mate yeah. uh, actually you know what joking aside I think that um, that is why people listen to more podcasts and stuff now because I think people have really realised now that like media is like a advertising agency yeah basically absolutely and they're trying to either they're trying to piss you off or they're trying to make you sad they're trying to make you insecure like but even a lot of the podcasts are mate you turn a podcast on and the first 30 minutes is commercials story commercials hey, embedded in stories that being said if you would like to sponsor the podcast <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to sponsor the podcast then and now a word from our sponsors <laughs> what the fuck what 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 surprisingly i've not been inundated with sponsorship requests for this podcast I can't uh, imagine why. Yeah, no, I, I can't. I, I can't imagine why. But um, I'll, look, you, I'll, I'll talk to some of my friends for you. I've, yeah, I've speak to some of your friends, but I'm not fucking moderating what I what I want because people come here for the truth. Yeah, and exactly the, and right. The, the unfiltered truth and the. And that's, you know what? That's one of the, that's one of the things I really loved about the book that you just put out. Brothers in Arms by Gary Jones. Yeah, yeah. Say it again. <laughs> Brothers in Arms by Gary Jones. Yeah, Brothers in Arms. Thanks, mate. This is this Dude, wasn't was, set up, was, and I'm not. Look, we're on video. I, there is no gun being held to this man's head <laughs> is this a gun yeah I have his, do- okay. I have his right. dog outside but no honestly dude like very rarely do you come across a military book that hasn't been polished up whereby and I don't mean that in a bad way I mean it hasn't been 
redirected for the civilian. It mm. is soldier. It is soldier speak. It's soldier language. It's soldier mentality. It's in there with the cunts and the fucks and the the limbs blown off and all that stuff. And that's that makes me appreciate it all the more and feel connected to it all the more. Thanks, man. I just think like you know this. You know I don't want to make this about the book because I fucking talked about it enough by now. People are probably sick of it. But if you haven't bought it, go it's, it's a reflection but, like, of the podcast. That, yeah, but that it's, you're it's, doing I, now. I just think that like it, mate. Just. The necessity of honesty can't be overstated. So I honestly think that one of the reasons that we see so much fucking, like, issues with people, um, you know, not, not not just with mental health, but just in general is, you know, it could be relationships, could be whatever. It's just people refuse to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just leads to so many fucking problems. So, for instance, one with the army. One, one I find with the army is... And this is something that I said to the fucking politicians the other day. Fucking hell, I shouldn't call them. I'm not going to get invited to anything else. I'm like, oh, well, fuck it. Um, is that I said to him, I was like, look, one of the reasons that fucks people over, it's not that like, it's not like oh, I saw Johnny and Johnny's legs were blown off. Obviously, that stuff's horrific. It goes without saying. Mm-hmm. But what fucks people over more, in my bro science opinion, is that you've got like, let's say you've got a young lad who didn't have a family or whatever like that, you know, or didn't have a felt like he was connection to family, joins the military, finds his family, gets told that it's his family, gets told all this stuff. And then they're like, oh, your knees are bad. See ya. Yeah. That is what fucks people yeah. over. Now, if the, if the army said, right, we're going to give you a job, you're going to get 30 grand a year, uh, but it's a job. Yeah. And you know what, mate, when your job's finished, yeah. that's it. And there are I, plenty of civilian type jobs within the military. But, mm-hmm. and I take a, a like, I, I don't know what it was like for you, but when I got military discharged, it was literally, you were there one day and yeah. you're not there the next and you're not and, connected and you have no part yeah, of it And my anymore. issue with that, mate, is that it's because it's that they you were told all the way through, this is your family for life. Now, yeah. and this is why I think the honesty is important. Because if they just said from the beginning, this is how it's going to be, there wouldn't be that issue on the back end. Mm-hmm. It would just be like, oh, well, this is what they said it was going to be like. Now yeah. I'm on my own. Okay. You know, just, just see what I mean. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. A, and it, it's a bit more, hey, well, you know what? Um, you're not going to get like, we're, we're not going to give you this and we're not going to give you that. And if you know from the beginning, you know. Yeah. It's getting what the the issue I have a fucking problem with is, is that they, they tell you all that. And for someone that's vulnerable and they've joined because they were looking for that, I think that that double whammy then, it's it that I think that I think that really fucking hurts some people. Not everyone. Because like if you're leaving and you go back into a strong family unit or a strong group of friends and all that stuff, you can probably ride it out, mm. you know. But if you haven't got that and all of a sudden now you're in your late, like, let's say, late 20s, and, like, in your teens, you were abandoned by family. And now you feel like you've gone through all that again. Because, like, I haven't talked to people that work in the mental health industry. And, again, opinions will differ, but this is what I've kind of drawn from it. It seems to me that most people that suffer from PTSD and war thing, and this goes for myself as well, it's because you came into it with some emotional baggage in the first place and then that gets amplified in one way or another, you know. Um, and so for a lot of lads coming into the military, or, well, women too maybe, um, it's, you know, you've got to look at the reasons. Why do a lot of 16-year-olds join the army? You said you got bullied. You said you had those issues. I joined because of similar fucking reasons. I know loads of fucking lads mm-hmm. who joined because they were bullied, they were beaten, they didn't have a fucking family that loved them, they never had a father figure. There's... 
there like there's some people that probably come in with you you look at them and they had like a perfect life you it does you know also join the military yeah but there's a lot of people who join because they've got some baggage coming in um and i think that that's something that p- people like oh men are help from the military almost because because he's seen some uh in, you know injuries like, look let's break this down not everyone even if you go to afghanistan you might not actually ever see anything grizzly you might shoot a lot of people, but you might never be involved in an IED strike or anything like that. So how is it that all this mental health is, you know, PTSD? It's not. It's all these, all these different things. But anyway, let's not dwell on this, man. I want to talk about some fucking positivity, right? Some positivity. So, as you said, you have taken opportunity off the back of your injuries and your back of your, let's call it, shark dinner. Mm. That changed your life rather drastically because in ways that you probably never could have imagined because this is what I find really interesting about you is you get attacked by a shark. Now, some people would go, death to all sharks. You've actually gone, I think you have Stockholm Syndrome. So an effect, <laughs> because you've now become Mr. Shark Advocate, yeah. who spends his life swimming around with sharkies and trying to stop people killing sharkies. Yeah. Um that's very interesting. Well, right? previous to that, I thought we should just kill them all, and then we don't have to worry about them. But that, you know, that was uh, that's ignorance. That's all it is: mm-hmm. is ignorance. Um, and through not wanting to look like a dumbass on television, um, because after my shark attack, um, being Australia, there was quite a few shark encounters that year and the year after. Uh, the media would come to me for a quote. And so out of the necessity of not looking like a dummy, I needed to learn about sharks. And so the more I learned, the more I realized how little we have to fear of them and how much they should be afraid of us. Um, And so I never blamed the shark anyway. I chose a dangerous life. I was riding a motorbike, jumping out of aircraft, playing bombs and all that crap. It's going to be something, wasn't it? It was was bound to be something. You're playing the numbers game. You cannot choose a dangerous path and then get pissed off when something goes wrong you know you got to accept that you sign the waiver the moment you yeah. choose a dangerous path so didn't really care you know it wasn't that i didn't care it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that i wasn't pissed off at any point but i never you know i didn't have that um underlying uh negativity towards the sharks i, I understood that i was in the water in and like you water. said your heroes growing up steve Irwin, like yeah you they're know, wildlife guys yeah um so anyway I, I went i got out of hospital after nine weeks i uh, went back in the ocean after three months went back to work after six months as an instructor uh remained an instructor for three years uh but I, you know i'm a firm believer if it doesn't make you happy either fix it replace it or fuck it off and say that so, again mate because that is worth right notebooks out <laughs> say that again if it doesn't make you happy and honestly through everything that I've learned happiness is the single most important thing to embrace in your life if you are happy you are healthier you are fitter you're better at your work you're better in your relationship you are generally just a better motherfucker and so happiness should be the driving motivator for you everything you do in life and so if it doesn't make you happy Fix it, replace it, or fuck it off. Boom. And so... Mic drop, end the podcast, goodbye. <laughs> no, don't stay there, stay there, we're not there. And so it wasn't making me happy anymore. I was busting my ass 70, 80 hour weeks on one leg with my prosthetic and trying to keep up with the boys and trying to keep up with the trainees and trying to make it look easy. And so it was killing me. I was drinking more. Um, I was pretty pretty good that I, well, I got off my drugs very early. Where was the pain coming from? 
Um, it was coming through phantom pains in my leg, phantom pains in my arm. So just explain to people what phantom pains are. Uh, phantom pains, the scientists don't even truly understand it. Uh, I've done a lot of research into it, and from what I understand, it is the fact that the nerve has been cut off at a certain point, but the brain is still firing signals down that nerve, but it's got nowhere to go. So what it does, it just fires out into the surrounding tissue, trying to find another nerve. And so what I have all the time is phantom sensation, as it's what I've called it. I've never heard anyone address the two different terms before, but what I have all the time never goes away, not for a single minute, is phantom sensation. It feels like my hand and my foot have very, very intense pins and needles and cramping, um, very, it was very hard to deal with in the early days, and I cried myself to sleep many a night because of the frustration. But now I've become accustomed to it. It's kind of like white noise playing in the background. I just forget about it. Hmm. But occasionally I get phantom pain, and that is truly painful. Uh, it's like being bitten again. Is it like when I got cramp last night in my calf? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Mate, that's the great, great thing about knowing people like you, mate, is I get cramp and I'll be like, ooh, 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 cramp. And I'm like, ah, fucking Paul got eaten by a shark. Stop being a baby. Yeah, and I'll never let you forget it. Yeah, I know. That's uh, the great thing about having you around, mate. It's like fucking, you know. But to be fair, I did that pretty bad cramp last night. So if anyone wants to send me sympathy cards, <laughs> Um, so, okay, so that's really interesting there. So yeah, the only it's time there I get all that, the time. The only time I get the really bad pain, though, is usually when I'm dehydrated, I'm hungover, or I'm run down, which is usually when I'm hungover. So I rarely get that. And sometimes it'll be once. I'll just be driving along and I'll get this massive electrical shock in my leg. Wow. And it's truly painful. And then it'll go away. Other times I've had it where that has happened every 15 seconds for 48 hours and it absolutely wipes me out and I'm I can't do you anything. Can't There's nothing you can do. There's no drugs you can take. Um, so fortunately, you know, that's happened probably three times in the past 10 years. Um, so back to the positives. Mm. Um, well, it was positive for me knowing that like every now and again you get pain. Yeah, but, but at the same time, I didn't, I didn't rest on my laurels. I didn't just accept, okay, I've got pain. No one knows how to fix it, so I'm just going to accept it. Bullshit. Yeah. Fuck that. We'll do Scientists, doctors, not everyone knows all the answers. Sometimes you've got to get out there and, and find it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I discovered that a Thames machine with those little electronic sensors, if I stuck those to where I felt that nerve pain coming from and turned it up, that would replicate the pain and, and sometimes cancel it out. Mm. And that would just be enough to get me to sleep. Right. And then I'd wake up in the middle of the night with the, the electrode stuck to my balls. Uh, you got <laughs> a dirty it slut. No, dirty. Absolutely unintentionally. And that shit will shock you awake real quick. I had them on my balls and there was this <laughs> massive rubber dildo up my ass. I don't know where the fuck that came from. I mean, you were airborne, mate, so I'm assuming that, like, I'm <laughs> assuming this. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That yeah. is term in the Navy, bare bums or fair bum. Unfortunately, never really, truly All found right, out move, what that move means. Moving swiftly on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I left the Navy. Um, I'd been doing a little bit of public speaking, which was my other greatest fear, public speaking in sharks. And it's so weird to now have my greatest fears being my greatest strengths and mm -hmm. i think that's achievable achievable for everyone and i think that if you have an incredible fear like that something that you feel might be holding you back you need to stop thinking so much about it and really face that fear and just embrace it um because it it can become a great strength for you um it's, and, it's the only way mate isn't it it's the only it is, way like because it it's it's you're never gonna mm -hmm. 
you're never gonna you, you're never gonna get past something that is a fear or is a phobia or is a um you know something like a something that's holding you back like even if you try and do other things that's still going to drag you back in some some way like you have to t- it's like all right actually i've just thought of a way of, right what happens when you're in training and you get taught right this is how you deal with an ambush yeah. you turn into an ambush and you fight through yeah and, and i'm not talking about like uh, just a, a i was just afraid of public speaking mm-hmm. i i started an it course when i was 19 trying to i don't know make my dad proud or something because he was in it with the cops and so i thought oh i'll do this and i got halfway through and we had to do a communications section and we had to speak in front of the class once a week and the first time i did it like these these guys are working at companies and they're doing powerpoints and all this shit i stood up in front of them with a piece of paper shaking my my face was red my eyes were watering yeah. and i felt like i was going to pass out and the next common. day i quit does a very common I quit that one, whole course, yeah. So it's it, this wasn't like a just oh I was just scared of public speaking. I quit a fucking whole TAFE course because mm. I was terrified of it. I I could not do it. Felt sick. Yeah, and now I it's nothing for me to get up in front and speak in front of thousands of people on yeah. stage. Wonder how did you get to that point? Uh, I I refused a lot of speaking jobs, and then canteen asked me to speak. Canteen. Canteen is a cancer camp for children. Okay. And they came to me and they said, will you come and speak to some of our sick kids? And I just thought, fuck. Can't say no sick kids. Exactly. And so I was like, all right. And my girlfriend at the time helped me out, helped me out. And we put together this little kind of a slideshow type thing. Um, I like pictures. I don't like people having to imagine things. I like like to show. And so I put slideshow together and I organized this little presentation. I can't for the life of me remember what I said. But I went up in front of these 20 sick kids and I was terrified of them. And I felt so ridiculous that I was scared of these children. And I spoke and we had a laugh and I walked out of it afterwards feeling like I was just on top of the world. I was like, I made those kids forget that they were sick for 30 minutes. Mm. I made them forget that they were going back to hospital after this just through my words. And I made them laugh and have a good time. And that felt so fucking powerful to me how did that feel in comparison obviously different but like as powerful as becoming a navy clearance labor it was more so it was more like peacekeeping it wow. was like you're directly affecting someone's life you know it's not like okay i gotta um blow up a channel now and some boats can get through or you know whatever it's i was i could see the change happening in front of me I was directly changing that person's mindset and taking them on a journey and giving them lessons. And so that was more powerful. And honestly, now I can go on stage feeling like shit, angry, tired. And by the time I walk off, I'm on top of the world. and I'm yeah. full of joy and happiness. Um, and I've, I've get the opportunity to take these people on this crazy journey. Like I, I haven't seen many speakers. I don't know what they do. And so I tried to make it something that I would enjoy. It's an emotional roller coaster. Um, it's the story of Paul, but with life lessons weaved through it so that it's not just a good time. Like you get to take away any poignant parts that resonate with you, whether it's how to overcome adversity, whether it's emotional resilience, whether it's how to embrace change and why to embrace change more, more to the point. Um, and so I went from the cancer kids to 1,200 kids at my old school and I got halfway through and these 1,200 kids were dead silent and I just thought, I could do this for a job. Nice. And so it grew from there and grew from there um, and then 
you know, I was getting comfortable in front of the camera. I'd done 60 Minutes twice and um, kind of guess I did a good job and that's when Discovery Channel came knocking. Sweet. Well, we're going to talk about that because we're going to do part two of this when we're in London and uh, we'll talk about talk about Discovery there. Do you think that there's something, an equivalent that everybody can do, which is like that give back that you do with the speaking? Do you think that there's something like that out there for everyone where, you know, where you kind of feel bigger than yourself? Oh, absolutely. And it's so, so vitally important to take the focus. You will never find happiness trying to make yourself happy. Right. You'll find happiness in making other people happy. So what are the things? The simplest service. Is it, is it the guest, is it like the, uh, the speaking at these, in, you know, with, with uh, be it kids or Microsoft yeah. or is that what makes you happiest? Well, it's, it's the free jobs I do. You know, right. I, I moved out to America and I wanted to try and give back. And so I organized to go to um, the juvenile detention centers, uh, went up to the Santa Barbara County Jail. I went and spoke for free to the sheriff's department. Um, I pick up rubbish around the beach. Um, I'm, I'm just a good cunt, you know? Yeah. I am the reverse yeah. of who I was when I was younger. I try and go out of my way to help yeah. people uh, and expect, the most important thing is to respect, expect nothing in return. Yeah. Mate, yeah. I'm a big fan of, um, if you go for a walk and you see a bit of plastic or something, pick it up yeah. because even if that's the only thing you do for anybody else or you want to talk if you think it's for the world if you think it's for nature if you think it's for other people literally just picking up one plastic bottle and think about it it's 7 billion people on the planet whatever imagine that every day everyone goes for a walk you pick up one piece of plastic yeah. right and, and it's it's such a tiny because like look not everyone is going to be a guest speaker and stuff like yeah. let's be realistic and not everyone now, has the time to do the big it, things it, anyway. exactly but I think we can all say that we do because, like, look. Even if you're just walking from your car to work, and you pass them, like, we all fucking do it. We all walk past them. That little thing, I'm telling you, you do that, and it'll start to make you feel really. Yeah, and then you start looking for other little things that you can Mm. do because it's it's never the big things that make the biggest difference. It's the small things done consistently. Yeah, that's that's what makes the biggest difference, and that's true to being on the track to your purpose as well. You know. Getting back to work was my dream. It was an impossible dream when I was in hospital. And it wasn't the the big goal of getting, like, just, I'm going to go back to work, and there it is, and now I'm going back to work. It was the all the tiny little things done consistently, the going to the gym every day, the learning to use my body, the learning to walk again, the, the you know, the learning how to be happy and confident in this new shell of a body that I had. All of that done consistently over time. They will be the things that make the biggest differences in your life. Mate, I love that. That's a good point to wrap up because um, we're going to do this again. We're going to do it almost two months to the day. We're going to be doing a uh, part two on this. Um, any? Have you got anything coming out in the next couple of months? People should keep an eye yeah, out. Yeah, man, Shark Week. Shark Week, mate. Shark week. Fucking Shark Week. You fucking can't. I don't know what the fuck that accent was. Stray, mate. Uh, fucking Shark Week. Right on. Let me try that again. G'day, I'm Paul de Gilder. Welcome to Shark Week. Welcome to Shark Week. Welcome to Shark Fish Week. Fish fucking cans. Right, all right, I got work on my accent. Um, Shark Week, when's that? Shark it's Week a- comes out uh, 28th of July. Uh, I've also heard 26th of July, so stay tuned. It's on Discovery It's Channel. basically out in July. It's in the end of July. But uh, really good season this year. Um, I've taken part in three shows. Uh, we shot a two-hour movie in four days in the Bahamas. Unheard of. Yeah, so okay. Really- like I just want to uh, people might not understand the movie-making thing. That's ridiculous. Two-hour yeah. movie in four days. Yeah. It's nuts. You're usually talking about months. Yeah, to with make um, two five, of, um, five celebrity comedians, um, took them out on an adventure, 
to yeah, it was just you know what it was a bit of fun but it was also to change people's perception of sharks because people still yeah. have this cr- incredible fear of sharks and it's, 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 fault, know, it's, it's warranted as well like a woman just died in the bahamas well, that poor girl paige winter in um north carolina got a leg and some fingers taken off it, it is warranted me but at the same time right i i have in front of me right now a glass and there have been as many people who have in for those shark attacks i guarantee you this like kind of glass like this has probably caused injuries to people cows bees yeah look look like like we're in a fucking flash machine which gets fucked up sometimes by all kinds of stuff seven people around the world die seven to ten people around the world die from sharks every year 200 and something like 278 people died last year from drowning in in australia now it's 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 a horrible way to go but when you put it into perspective of how many people are actually injured and killed, it is a minute worry and all the millions of people that swim in the ocean. And here's the other thing, mate. It's not like they're coming in your bathtub. Exactly. You're right. going in their house. Exactly. Like, if I went in the jungle and got eaten by a tiger, yeah. then, you know, anyway. Um, where can people? scenario, but... Uh, it, it is horrible. We and obviously, down some of these, um, yeah. these myths and things in, in Shark Week, and I actually did one of them... Uh, that was people think i'm a little bit insane for doing um i drained a half a liter of my blood out of my body um, i mean that's just silly and then jumped into the water with tiger sharks bull sharks and lemon sharks and hammerhead sharks you not got have you not got a blood double like you can bring in like no this shark week is one of those shows that is very rare in by which we don't have stunt doubles and every in every show we do we could potentially die. It is truly dangerous right. sometimes. There's not many shows like that out there. So we, we mitigate the risks where, you know, we're some of the best in the world at what we do. So I would say the best in the world, mate. Yeah. Not humble. Well, not Don't, me, no need to be humble. The, the guys that I work with, definitely. So yeah, it's, it's an incredible uh, experience. It's a dream come to, true to walk in the footsteps of some of my heroes I grew up watching. And yeah. I take that very seriously. Um, but also, it is Shark Week. It is not Shark Documentary Week. It's not Shark Science Week. It is everything to do with sharks. And people get pissed off because it, some of it's fun and there's a Megalodon fucking mockumentary or whatever. It's just Shark Week. Megalodon, it's just fun. Megalodon's there's some science, there's fun, there's adventure, there's danger. It's like everything to do with sharks. So don't get too wrapped up around the axles. Mega, Megalodon's a fucking yeah. real mate anyway. I've seen him. <laughs> the Jason Statham. I trust everything that he does. He's a great documentary maker. I trust, him. I trust him implicitly. You are the Aussie Jason Statham. Um, mate, where can people find you online? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's real simple. I keep it easy. It's just pulled together. And I will tag him and everything. Mate, cheers. No dramas, brother. Sticker there, brother. Um, see right. you in London in two months. Yes. Well, you'll see me right now because we're going to get some dinner. <laughs> I like uh, but we, yeah, we're going to be back uh, on this in a couple of months. Um, guys, if you have any questions from this podcast, please send them in and I will ask them to this fine gentleman uh, next time we sit down together. Um, appreciate you listening. If you... Uh, are listening and you're not already connected with us at social media we are at veteran state of mind on instagram uh, veteran state of mind on facebook at vson podcast on twitter which we're starting to use a little bit more uh, i'm personally at grj books and we have vsonpodcast.com where we have all the episodes up um guys thank you for listening i appreciate you thanks for coming in and we will catch you next time cheers goodbye love you all